Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Coco in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. The newest feature film uh, to come out of Pixar just came out uh, the over the Thanksgiving break, and it has received incredibly rave reviews from most outlets. It is doing quite well at the box office, not just uh, locally and, and in the States, but it has become the highest grossing movie of all time in Mexico, I believe. I may be like uh, adjusting the terminology for what what they what they're actually calling it, but it's it's made tons of money in Mexico, as it should, because the theme of the movie is uh, Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, and follows Miguel, who is a little boy who lives in uh, has grown up in a family that not only hates music but are all shoemakers, and he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be a musician. He wants to play guitar. He wants to sing like his idol, uh, Ernesto de la Cruz. And this has caused a little bit of a little bit of tension, a little bit of a rift between him and the rest of the family. But they are trying to, you know, adjust and give him enough time to come back to making shoes on his own, almost. And so. On the Day of the Dead, uh, Miguel f- ends up finding a picture. Uh, his his great-great-grandfather is kind of been excised from the family, and so there's a picture of his great-great-grandmother and his great-grandmother, and uh, the torso and legs of his uh, great-great-grandfather, the head torn off, and through a series of mishaps, uh, the picture frame uh, breaks, and the picture folds open to reveal that uh, his great-great-grandfather has a guitar in his hand, the exact same guitar as his idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. And using this as inspiration, he decides to enter a talent show taking place on the Day of the Dead, and needing a guitar to play, he runs to the graveyard and breaks in to Ernesto de la Cruz's tomb, uh, is it called a tomb when it's like, yeah, I don't know, it's like a big, I don't know, stone tomb? I guess, I guess, I guess it's called a tomb. He he breaks in, takes uh, De La Cruz's guitar, and he, he strums first a chord, and like these flower petals swirl around him, and uh, then people freak out, you know, people realize the guitar's been stolen, he has to, he tries to hide, he tries to run, and realizes no one can, notices that he's there, he passes through people, and the people that do notice him are the souls that have returned from the land of the dead to visit those that are still living. And so, Miguel is now on a journey in the day of the dead, in the land of the dead, to find Ernesto, uh, who, as his great-great-grandfather, it has already died, to in order to get his blessing to be able to return to the land of the living before sun, sun up, uh, 
and also be able to play music because the rest of his relatives that are in the that have passed away refuse to let him return to the land of living if he continues music. So that's the main uh, plot of this movie, and we have seen the land of the dead uh, used before, even in animated movies uh, like the Book of Life. We have uh, seen sort of childhood struggles against this, you know, to do the thing that families hate before in the past as well, and so I, I was excited, I've been really excited to see this movie, you know, I'm a big fan of Pixar, uh, some of my favorite movies are Pixar movies, and yet I kind of felt like before seeing the movie, I felt like I wasn't sure how they could make this story original, I didn't know how they were going to I don't know, just do something incredible with this premise because, you know, it is, there are a lot of things that we've seen before in this kind of a story, and I didn't know how Pixar could twist it to be make it original. Uh, I thought the setting was very interesting. You know, we, you know, I've, you know, obviously we've had the Book of Life, but to be fair, like, there aren't much uh, many films that deal with uh, the Dia de los Muertos. It is a relatively uh, underexplored time of year and cultural event, and it, you know, if Book of Life hadn't come out, like I can't even imagine how unique and invigorating this film would have been, you know, all things considered. So. I had a little bit of trepidation, I'll admit, but again, I was very excited to see this movie, and to its credit, it rewarded me incredibly highly. I was fascinated by this movie, I was in, and and I bought into what the movie was trying to do from the get-go, and there's, for me, there was a very emotional scene early on in the movie that I think that uh, Lee Unkridge the director got the tone of that scene just perfectly, but it wasn't until Miguel crosses over into the land of the, the dead, and uh, if you've seen, I believe this is in the trailer, but there's like, there's basically a big bridge uh, made up of these petals that they use to uh, create a path from the, uh, the dead's burial place, and to their home or to wherever the offering is being made for that person. And so there's this huge bridge that's also made out of these gorgeously orange petals. And the moment where Miguel and the rest of the family that have already passed on are walking across the bridge and, you know, Miguel is taking his first steps into this new world, this entirely unseen place that no living person really goes to. You know, you get to see the bridge across this divide, and then you—he looks out across to the to to his right, and he sees, you know, another half a dozen bridges in down the line as well, as there are other people crossing over at different points. You know, and the and the the idea and the representation there is that there's bridges everywhere in the world that are honoring the dead in the same way, and that they're all being given the chance to come back and. Then he turns his attentions back towards the land of the dead itself, and 
it's just a glorious establishing shot of this world. You know, it had brought me back to uh, the establishing shots that they used in Zootopia with all the different lands and, and when Judy Hopps is on the, the metro train. And this is just gorgeous. The colors are so vibrant and there's just such a, there's like a soft neon glow around everything. And you can look as far into the back of this image as you want. Like everything is perfectly... Uh, animated and you can see things moving in the background you know almost un unseeable like to the naked eye they're so minute and so far away and it's just that moment completely won me over and I think I, I remarked after after the movie was over like I think that was the moment where I kind of fell in love with this movie it's a beautiful story because you know, everyone is either has either had the opportunity or known someone who has been in the circumstance where the thing they want to do and the thing that makes them happy and the thing that they love to do is difficult. Whether it's because, you know, whether it's a financial reason, whether there's pushback from other people in your life, whether there's pushback from people uh, who are denying you the ability to do the thing that you love you've someone you you know you've maybe not felt the level of adversity that Miguel experiences in this movie but you can understand what it feels like to think of the thing that you enjoy doing the most the thing that you care about the most and having that thing blocked off to you you know for some people it may be a significant other that their family didn't approve of it may be you know you look at you know, the history of, like, your mom's 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 mom, all of them have been such and such a profession, and you don't want that, or your dad's 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 dad, or you look at uh, uh, all the people that live in your area, and, like, they all listen to one kind of music, and you want to be a singer of a different kind of music that's drastically different, like, you know, rap versus country, something like that, something that just is so difficult for these other people to recognize uh, to to respect and process that it alienates you and you feel like you've you know you don't feel the respect and you don't feel like you have these the support that you need to to pursue things and not everyone is able to overcome that you know there are people who have given up their dreams and their desires because they haven't had the support and haven't been met with the acceptance that they deserve for for trying to do the thing they love. Uh, I, I I recently watched the documentary on Netflix, Jim and Andy, about Jim Carrey when he was uh, playing the role of Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. And he has this one line where he's talking about his dad uh, in Canada. And I forget what profession his dad was in, but uh, at some point during... Uh, Jim Carrey's life, his dad was laid off at his job, and his dad hated his job. It wasn't something he enjoyed doing, it was something he did for the money, and Carrey remarks that he realized in that moment that, yeah, you can fail to do the things you want to do, you, know, you may not be successful, you know, that's always the risk, but you can also fail doing the things you hate doing, and if you're going to fail, you might as well try to do the things you love. And that's such a great sentiment. That's such a great 
thing to to believe in and i i love that uh early on in the film shortly after passing over into the land of the dead miguel is given the opportunity to return and on on the condition that he for, you know stops playing music forever and that's just not good enough for him. He refuses to accept those conditions, and I love that. That's such a powerful statement, because he's not only standing up for the things he loves, but he's standing up against the people who love him, you know, his family, the people who are supposed to support him no matter what, and, you know, that's a two-way street, you know, you they his family look at it as like, you have to support us, you know, we hate music, we revile music we refuse to be associated with it in any sense of the word and you have to follow that too but you know he's just a kid and it's it's got there's got to be some give and some take in that 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 relationship and there just isn't it's completely one-sided and completely unfair so miguel strikes out on his own in order to track down uh, his great-great-grandfather, Ernesto de la Cruz, and get his blessing, and show him that he can, that he's a musician, that he sings, that he worships Ernesto de la Cruz. He knows all of his songs. He he listens to them. He plays them. He's seen all of his movies. He has posters of him. He, you know, he, he went to Ernesto de la Cruz's tomb because he needed a guitar, and he said, you know, Ernesto would have wanted me to have this. He's None, no one else in his family is does he does music, listens to music, plays music, sings, and I'm the first one. And so, obviously, he would, he would want me to have this and use it and, and perform with it. And so, that in and of itself is a, a gloriously sweet and charming rapper for a story. And if Pixar had just kind of left it at that, it would have been a good movie. Uh, it wouldn't have, you know, it would have, it wouldn't have been Inside Out. It wouldn't have been a Toy Story or or, or an Up or a Wall-E, but it would have been a good movie, and people would have enjoyed it. But it doesn't just leave it at that. This movie is far more complex, far more uh, complicated than it lets on. You know, particularly based on the trailers, there is so much happening uh, behind sort of under between the lines in that trailer in the trailers that for me it was it was so joyous to see these things play out on the screen and there are there were so many points where i i was just had tears streaming down my face i was so happy and sad and and feeling all these emotions that this movie kind of drew out of me because it gets you it really does get you 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 know, you become invested in not just Miguel's story and not just his his life and his passions, but uh, Gael Garcia Bernal's character, who you see in the trailer when uh, Miguel is pretending to walk like a skeleton. There's that other character, the uh, the uh, the real skeleton character that's like, I don't walk like that. That's Gael Garcia Bernal's character uh, named Hector, and Hector has his own story. He is. Uh, dead and living in the land of the dead and as we see when Miguel is crossing back into the land of the dead with the rest of his family Hector is trying to cross into the land of the living but we see that 
you can't do that if no one puts up your picture and leaves something out for you to receive, leaves something out as a tribute for you. And because no one has done that for Hector, he can't cross over. He can't go back and see his family, whoever they are. He can't, you know, he doesn't get anything in, in this. And this is, I mean, it's kind of sad. It, it, you know, Hector kind of tries to be is, is a little bit more of a comic relief character some of the times, but he's kind of a tragic character. He he doesn't have someone on the other side that remembers him well enough to put up his picture, and, and that's disappointing. And, and so, you know, we follow his story as he joins up with Miguel, because Miguel is a living boy, so Miguel will go back, and he can take Miguel's picture and put it up himself. You know, that would solve Miguel's problem. And for Miguel, Hector apparently knows Ernesto de la Cruz, and so Hector can take Miguel to Ernesto and get Ernesto's blessing so that he can return to the land of the living. So these two people kind of unite under random happenstance and find out that they kind of are perfect for each other in this one moment in order to achieve the things they want. And there's there's this sort of, I don't know, it's just, it's so well played out, it's so well written, and the exchanges between these two characters, the development of the relationship between them as they, as it ebbs and flows throughout the course of the film, um, as we find out new details about both of the people, it's just, it's just such great writing and such great filmmaking to actualize these characters as real as they are, despite the fact that one of them is literally just a skeleton, and, you know, that complete, that really limits sort of some of the creative decisions you can make with a character, and because, you know, the vast majority of this movie takes place in the Land of the Dead, and the vast majority of the people in the Land of the Dead are skeletons, it's interesting to see how that affects the way that characters are create crafted and and the writing is used and sort of just you know the way that certain little things are so different because of that you know when you know you've seen this scene in the trailer where one of the characters asks a different character to get up take a picture of him you know because such other characters famous and he just takes off his head and hands it to the guy and he the other guy holds it as he takes the picture like that's obviously not something we can do in real life and it's something that we get a chance to, I, I don't know, it's it's just one of those sort of novelty elements of this film that allows us to kind of be there as if we were there. And that's special. That's, that's something that's very unique uh, in the way that, you know, most of Pixar's films have been in that they've actualized this whole other world that we're unaware of, that we can't experience, that we can't live in, and they take all of these facets of it and are able to flesh it out to the nth degree. It's it's such a such a great and, and wonderful feeling to, to kind of experience that. And Coco is just another brilliant example of Pixar's filmmaking abilities and writing abilities and story creation and world building and I, I thought it did a great job and so the other thing I want to talk about 
um, before we kind of move into a spoilers section, is the music. So Pixar has never done a musical before, which is, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I would be interested to hear um, and, and kind of talk to the creative voices at Pixar as to whether or not there's a significant reason as to why they haven't particularly struck out to do a musical in the past. Obviously, Disney's animated films, almost every other one's been a musical lately, and Pixar's, this is the first one. So it's, and and it's, again, but on the same token, like, this isn't a traditional musical, you know, this isn't Moulin Rouge, this isn't Chicago, it's more of performance songs, uh, and, and it's not every five minutes in the movie, there's you know, maybe four or five moments in the movie where we, we break for a kind of a musical performance, but none of those mu- those moments are wasted, you know? It's not like... I, I don't have a, gr- a good example off the uh, tip of my tongue, but it's not like the song itself is obvious and we understand what it's symbolizing from the moment, from the first line, and then we have to wait three minutes to see the sort of fallout of this moment uh there's one moment uh towards the middle of the movie uh where miguel and hector are uh are are trying to win a way into uh, hector de la cruz's party and they enter a talent show in the day of the dead where uh, hector miguel end up uh performing on stage for a group of people and it may feel like this is a moment where, all right, just sit back, enjoy the song, that's about all we got to do, but there are machinations and motivations happening beneath the surface for both Hector and Miguel during this performance. And then as it's happening, we have external things going on with different characters in the vicinity of the performance so that we still hear what's happening, we still hear the songs, we can still see them in the stage on the background, on the stage in the background but we're also following these other characters as they're doing things separate from those characters and it's just it's beautiful the way that this movie refuses to waste a second of its screen time of its runtime to something as frivolous as you know a song that lasts three minutes only to say you know one simple line that like a character a character could just speak it's it's far more than that. It's it's greater than that, and every single moment where the mo- where the movie uh, breaks into song is just as clever, is just as emotional, and just as impactful, and just as relevant to the rest of the story. It's it's very important, and I respect the hell out of that. I think it's great that Coco, as the first Pixar musical, isn't this isn't like a traditional musical it it takes a different approach to that form formula and does something great with it it really does it does something absolutely great with this so i am a big fan of this movie it is far and away my favorite animated film of the year and it is one of my favorite films period of this year i was insanely high on this movie when I first left the theater um, but in the interim between then and when I finally took had the chance to put the data into my spreadsheet I kind of pulled back a little bit 
And that's not to say that, like, I started kind of picking apart the movie and I was noticing flaws in it, but it's it's emotionally a very stimulating and rewarding film. I just, I, I don't think... There, there are parts, there are definitely parts that I had minor issues with, uh, particularly early on, and then one element uh, toward the very end of the film. And I think those in and of themselves are not reason enough to drop the rating of the movie down from what I had expected it to be to where it ended up as. But it's more the fact that in this sort of period of interim interim period, I wasn't... I don't know. It's tough to explain because it's more so the fact that I was looking at the films that I had already seen this year and where they had fallen and what I'd rated them. And I'm like kind of comparing like, okay, Coco versus this film, you know, just because I want to watch one movie over the other doesn't necessarily mean it's better. And, you know, just because I cried more during this one doesn't mean this one isn't just as emotionally rich. And so like I'm looking at one and like I'm comparing not just my feelings on the movie, but also how I feel the technical elements of the movie are conveyed and, and the quality they're in. And it's not strictly uh, a one-for-one -one comparison. So while I had expected Coco from the from uh, uh, when I left the theater to be one of the top like two movies this year at this point, uh, it didn't end up as that high. It, it fell a little bit uh, down to ninth at this moment. So still highest animated film by a margin, but and and, and not you know totally outside of the realm of like best movies of the year. But it's not like top two, top three, uh, like I thought it could have been, because I, I don't know. I just I, I look at it and it just doesn't quite hit that mark the way that I think it needed to. It, it it's it's I, I guess here here's a better way to explain it. So Inside Out is uh, my second favorite Pixar film. Uh, my favorite being Toy Story one, and what Inside Out did, you know, I was I was a blubbering mess through the entire like runtime of Inside Out. The first time I saw it in theaters, um, Inside Out is technically marvelous, and you know, uh, boasts a fantastic story in a completely unknown world that doesn't exist and we've never seen before, and has some ins incredible innovative animated techniques as well as perfect voice acting and what at the at, but at the end of the day like inside out did something that like no other film before it had ever done you know in the way that it communicated in an completely new language just how like how how feelings what feelings are like that's such an incredible concept and you know, it's the the greatest Pixar films. I think are able to do the same thing. They are able to, you know, create a new language almost, and and create a new world that we've never inhabited. That feels not only full and rich and lived in, but like something we could like some like like it already did exist. You know, we can all picture, you know, a joy and a sadness in our own heads, because that's how vividly 
well and well depicted that the the inside out was and to coco's credit it is a beautiful depiction and you know a, a wonderful depiction of the of the land of the dead and i i think it's one that will stick with you if you've never really been a part of that cultural uh, identity and uh, i i can't speak to like how someone who has celebrated the day of the dead uh, feels about such a thing but uh to compare this with inside out this is a film that i you know in a place we've kind of seen before so like we've seen days of the, like a land of the dead type of story before and it's done with with the the sort of underlying story of uh, a kid who's rebelling against his family trope and like again that's something we've seen before and we may never have seen it done just this way and pixar may have done it absolutely incredibly well but it doesn't create a brand new sort of reality that pixar is operating in it doesn't transpose its in its identity in a way that we've never ever seen before it, it does kind of at the end of the day feel like they've taken and plucked and picked and choosed chosen elements that they wanted to incorporate into this film but not in a way or, or rather in a way that we've never precisely seen before but we have seen these elements before whereas something like a toy story something like a an Inside Out, something like a, a Wally, we we haven't ever seen these types of movies before. That's what makes them so special. So, at the end of the day, Coco currently, and again, uh, you know, like I said, like I had initially thought this was going to be one score, it ended up as a different one. So, there's just as you know, it, it's still up for up in the air that like maybe this movie does end up changing uh, as as I go through the year. You know, maybe especially if I get to see it again. Uh, but Coco at the moment, most likely for, for good, but, but with the small asterisk, is rated an 88 out of 100. So it's four stars in Letterboxd and puts it at number nine uh, on the year, uh, right behind Blade Runner 2049 and right ahead of Brigsby Bear. So uh, it's a movie I, I absolutely loved and definitely one I want to revisit again. And uh, to its credit, uh, it has it appears three times in the Circle of Film Awards, uh, once in the screenplay category, once in the original song category for Remember Me, which is performed, I think, three times through the course of the film, which is a lot, and yet it never feels like too much because each time that we hear this song, it's in a completely different perspective, it's in a completely different evocative performance you know it, it takes on a completely different meaning which is is a fantastic way to present something like that and then the third and final way is special effects it, it enters the special effects category so uh coco will likely remain in the circle of film awards till the end of it uh particularly we'll see how many categories it can hold on to but it's definitely going to be here be around until the year's over. So I'm very pleased. I'm glad that there's at least one animated film this year that kind of knocked it out of the park. And I'm looking forward to revisiting this movie as soon as possible. So that's my 
spoiler-free part of the review for Coco. I will do a little bit of a spoiler section, uh, but before I get into that, I'm gonna have a little bit of a little bit of an interlude to there. So, thank you for listening. If you are not going to listen to the spoiler section, and if you are, I'll be right with you. Any path, so many worth exploring. Just one would be so boring. And look what you're ignoring. I think that the ending of this film is its strongest selling point. And it's a shame that they can't market it based on that because not knowing what happens at the end is the biggest proponent for the film. Like, like, so, so prior to going to see this, uh, my girlfriend casually mentions to me that there is a dark twist at the end of Coco and she doesn't tell me what it is and I don't think she knows what it is. At the, I don't know, she's reading some article on her phone, but I was like, what? One, I didn't really want to know that, but two, uh, then I'm entering the movie with this preconceived notion that, like, okay, something dark is going to happen. You know, this is a kid's movie. Like, how dark can they really take it? Uh, you know, is it kind of going to be a, a Mufasa moment? Is something get killed? Uh, and so what actually happens is Ernesto de la Cruz adores Miguel. You know, Miguel performs for him, uh, Ernesto loves it, and is incredibly happy, and he's like, yes, I'm totally ready to give you my blessing, uh, and then Hector arrives on the scene, and so Hector and Miguel have kind of parted ways at this point, and so we get Hector returning onto the scene in this moment, and we're like, shit, man, Miguel's, uh, Miguel's supposed to, you know, get home now, this is gonna, he's gonna get his dream, and Hector and Ernesto, you know, recognize each other. You know, Hector has said already that he knows Ernesto. And through the course of this conversation, in the course of this interaction, we determine that, and, and we infer, and we realize this just as Hector and just as Miguel realize this, that not only is Ernesto kind of a bad guy, because, you know, we already have this preconceived notion that, like, Hector, or Ernesto, rather, left his family and that's why everyone hates music. He left the family to pursue his dream of being a musician. And his wife was forced to raise the kid and raise her her daughter herself. And subsequently, you know, be the matriarch of this family by herself. And Ernesto was nowhere to be seen. And that's a really awful thing to do. And so when, so, you know, Ernesto's not really the best person. But for the purposes of Miguel, who we absolutely love, like, we love Miguel, and I, I think his own dreams are, in this instance, more important than, you know, justice being served to Ernesto. You know, I think we as the audience are in a position where we're like, okay, Ernesto may not be the best person in the world, but he has an opportunity here to give Miguel the capability to go back to, to the land of the living and despite the wishes of his family actually be a musician and actually do the thing he loves to do and that's a good a good thing and he has a chance to really do a good thing here and so Hector's arrival makes it feel like um well you're kind of in the way guy but we find out not only is Ernesto a really bad guy? He is a murderer, and he poisoned Hector, 
killed him. Hector was his writing partner, his performing partner, and Ernesto stole Hector's songs and killed him when Hector tried to leave and go back to Hector's family, you know? These and and you know, obviously we know Hector's family hasn't doesn't really remember him. We know he's struggling to survive and struck and like trying and doing anything he possibly can to get back to the land of the living to see the people he loves one last time. And that's why he was helping Miguel, and you know that's why Miguel has his picture. And Hector and 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 Hector is just overcome with grief, and he attacks uh, Ernesto, and Ernesto like calls his bodyguards and has Hector removed from the premises. And so Miguel is is conflicted because now Ernesto doesn't know that he can really trust Miguel not to tell people that he killed somebody. And so, to cover this up, he ends up sending away Miguel and refuses to send him back home because if he can do that to his best friend, if he can kill his best friend, you know, what's his family? And heck, uh, Miguel ends up in this sort of, ca- uh, I don't know, a, a deep cav- uh, a cavern with with Hector and... This is one of my favorite moments in this movie when Hector and Miguel realize that Hector is Miguel's great-great-grandfather, not Ernesto. And, you know, not only did Ernesto steal Hector's songs, he stole his guitar, uh, he stole his life, he stole his fame, and he stole away his adoration and love and remembrance because Ernesto is remembered by hundreds and thousands of people because he was a brilliant musician and Hector isn't remembered by his own family. They've ripped him out of their lives completely to the point where, other than his daughter, who is nearing the end of her own life, nobody even knows who he is. And there's this beautiful scene. I, I was uh, it was I was so choked up where Miguel and Hector both declare and proclaim and yell out how proud they are to be each other's family and that is so that's so amazing and for these two characters who Miguel comes into the at at this point you know Miguel has spent so much time and so much effort into trying to achieve his goals and to realize that this person who he's been with this whole time in the land of the dead this person who uh is is somewhat responsible in a way for for and actions or inactions that he committed for for being why the rest of uh, Miguel's family won't let him perform and play music you know he is so happy that this person is part of his family because this person respects him and respects music and respects what he wants to do and what his dream is and on the other side you have Hector who has been forgotten has no one and who is on the verge of disappearing completely when his daughter forgets him and his daughter has like dementia and her memory is in and out and so every few minutes we see uh, Hector collapse on the ground and is in danger of disappearing forever because no one remembers who he is and all he needs is for Miguel to take his picture back across with him put it up and and Hector will be able to go visit people and Hector will be able to see the people that he loves you know whether or not they remember him whether or not they love him anymore and you know, for him to find, realize that Miguel is his own family. This is his great great grandson, and 
a kid who is following in his own footsteps, who is going to be, who wants to be a musician the way Hector was, uh, but but now he has the context and understanding to make sure that he doesn't leave his family behind because they are just as important in in in, in the world as his his dreams are. Is ah, oh, it's just a special and beautiful moment that we managed to get to in this movie, and so so. This this dark twist that the movie has, that that Ernesto killed someone, is just the tip of the iceberg. So they get out of this place, they conf- they go they they sneak into Ernesto's sun sunrise performance that he gives every year, and uh, uh, Hector's wife, who's dead, who is Miguel's great great grandmother is the one she ends up with the picture they 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 ha- so they have to get uh Hector's picture back so she ends up with the picture and then she's put in a position where she has to sing on stage in front of everybody the in front of everybody and she does so and she ends up dancing with Ernesto who's trying to steal the picture back and he does and then a uh, course of events happen and Ernesto ends up throwing Miguel off the building because if anyone finds out if he if 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 Hector if he goes back to the land of living he will Ernesto's legacy will be tarnished and destroyed and ruined and Ernesto is willing to put anything on the line to get make that happen and of course it's kind of what it's one of those scenes where like someone is able to turn a uh, you know a live feed camera onto him as this pivotal moment is happening the whole crowd who's there for the performance is watching him as he attempts to kill Miguel. Like, he, he literally tries to kill the main character in the movie, which is devastating. You know, like, obviously, we've seen this in movies like The Lion King, where the hyenas are trying to eat Simba. But, I don't know, it, it's a, it's it's just different. It's, you know, in... in, in the Lion King, you know, it really isn't anything personal. Like, if, if it had been Scar in that moment when Simba was running away, like, that would have been horrifying. Uh, and, and so by the end of The Lion King, when Scar and Simba are fighting kind of mano mano like, that's a different situation. You know, like, these are both adults. These are both people who, you know, are, are I, I, you know, they, they are on evil playing, and on, on an evil playing field at, this, at that point in the movie. Whereas this is you know, Ernesto and Miguel, and Miguel's like eight years old, and Ernesto just throws him off of this building to his death, and that is some cold-blooded stuff, like, that is really awful, and so this movie goes places, man, it really goes into a lot of different places, it's a, it's a fantastic journey, like I said, the complicated situation at the end, you know, Hector is actually Miguel's fa- uh, great-great-grandfather, is a beautiful sentiment, a beautiful moment, and it's just a really special film, it, it's, it's got a lot of great things to say about dreams and family and all that stuff, and I, I really am so pleased that it was made, and so pleased that a lot of people are going, and then we skip forward a whole year and it's the next day of the dead and Hector's able to cross over which is so great and so nice and 
we're all everyone you know you're so happy and excited just for him to be able to see his family and and the end of the film closes as uh, as Miguel is singing a new song he's written and Hector like joins in from the other side and it's just it's just so nice and so heartfelt and I just I just really like this movie and I think it's so good and I I can't wait for it to win best animated feature because I really don't think there's much competition you know I, I, I just don't see it happening for any other movie so that's Coco I I really like it it's really really good and and that's gonna be it like that's that's all I gotta say for now uh you know it'll come up again I'm definitely in the circle of film awards maybe before then we'll see and thank you so much for listening if you have any comments concerns questions or answers you can send those to circle of film at gmail.com if you would like to check out the full list of the circle of film awards if you would like to see past episodes and other information about me or my spreadsheet, you can head over to circleoffilm.com. And if you'd like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, you can check out patreon.com slash circleoffilm. And as always, have a week.